0: All right, uh, we'll grab your Bibles if you would, please, and turn to First Corinthians 16, First Corinthians chapter 16. It's the last chapter in First Corinthians. And we're studying this, um, this very last part of this amazing epistle. And in this epistle, I mean, we've gone all over the place. We really have. I mean, we have really we've dove into issues. Uh, practical issues theological issues we've talked about marriage we've gotten into talking about um, idolatry and gray areas and what to do there and we've looked at spiritual gifts we've talked about tongues we've talked about prophecy Um, we've talked about love we have been all over the place and it has really been amazing now so many people get to the end though in these parts of the new Testament. And I know, I know what you do, you kind of give it the sort of, yeah, yeah, thanks, love you, see you next time, right? I mean, you kind of just figure it's that, and so you, you know, you kind of skip it a little bit. It's sort of like what you do at the doorway when, you know, you're leaving someone's house after a great visit, right? You're not really sure how to end the deal. And uh, so you hug and you mention a few things that might not be as important and then you go your way, right? Well, I want to encourage you not to look at this that way. I want you to see that there's more here than what you might realize. So let's put this text before us and let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and verses 5 through 12. I'm going to read it out loud and you read silently, but I will come to you. After I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now, just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost." For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, so as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren." But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. The word of the Lord. Amen. Now, you might look at a text like that and and you're thinking, yep, that's exactly it. You give the hug. You say goodbye. Thank you. All right, there we go. You you leave the driveway, and that was a great visit. But I want you to understand something. This is really an insight into Paul's ministry. And the more you look at it, the more you're going to see this. This is an insight. Now listen, not just in what he did, but why he did it. Why he did what he did. Not just in the ministry that he had, not in the busyness, not in the fact that he was involved, but why he even did what he did. Now you remember we said that all of chapter 16 was really a snapshot of the church in motion. When the church gets going, you can spot it doing four things. Market, giving, working, trusting, and loving. Those are the things that really shape, those are the things that help you to see what the church is about. this next section is a portrait of the principles that tied the Apostle Paul down that caused him to serve, that is to work in ministry. Now, I've titled this God's work, God's way. Let me show you the reason why. Look at verse 10 of chapter... Actually, keep your finger on chapter 16, verse 10. Look at verse 58. Go back to chapter 15, verse 58. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not empty in the Lord. Now, what Paul is motivating them to do is not just commit to the work of the Lord, but to toil in it. To put so much effort into the work of the Lord that you work to a point of exhaustion. That's the word that's used here. In fact, it's a word that actually has the idea of the work that it takes to go in... um Work the ground and make it fruitful. Make fruit come out of the ground. That's the word that's used to describe the word work. You could say it this way. Spend yourself completely in the work of the Lord. Spend yourself. We live in a day and age where we're trying to tell each other, stop working so hard. Settle down. Slow down. Relax. Paul says... No. Do the opposite. Work harder. Go for it. Push yourself. Get yourself to the limits. Get yourself to that place where you have to actually rely on God in His grace. Now look, this we're talking about the work of the Lord here, right? You can maybe even say it this way. Spend yourself completely in the work of the Lord because God's going to reward that. That's that fruit-bearing picture of the word work. And then you get to our passage and you see something very interesting nestled in here that really does connect to that thought from verse 58. It's in verse 10 of chapter 16. Look at it. See that Timothy is with you without cause to be afraid for he is doing, here it is, the Lord's what? Work. As I also am. Now you remember back in 4.17, Timothy will remind you of all my ways, Paul says. Now what then is, so clearly he's doing the Lord's work just like Paul did the Lord's work. So the question then is, what is the Lord's work? If we can know what the Lord's work is, then maybe we can exhaust ourselves too in doing that, right? We can know what it is that He wants us to stretch ourselves out to that kind of limit in. Now, you don't have to search too hard to figure out what the Lord's work is. You can go, for example, look at the Gospels and you can see how Jesus worked, right? In fact... This is a little assignment for you if you want to do this. Read Mark chapters 4 through 6. I believe it's literally like one or two days put together. And just mark out all the stuff that Jesus did. It's incredible. It's incredible. One thing after the next, after the next, after the next. He he pushed himself in the work. Now God came down, God with skin, God the Son came down and and he worked. John 5 verse 17, my father is working until now and I myself am working. In other words, one of the purposes that I came down here is to show you what work looks like. And then in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, giving them my teaching and working at it. Now, what is the Lord's work? Two things. He worked to get the gospel out. And he worked to get the gospel in. You understand that? He worked to get it out to people and once it was in people, then he worked it you know, with them. He worked with those people that had the gospel. What's that mean? I'll give you two different words that maybe will help you understand what I just said. Evangelism and edification. That's it. That's the Lord's work and you can put all of his work under those two headings. Now, Paul said he did the Lord's work, so we should be able to see that very same thing, right? Yep, exactly. And in fact, remember back in 1 Corinthians, uh, the very beginning here, you can look at the first three chapters of this letter, and Paul told them those two things in those first three chapters of his letter. In chapter 1, verse 17, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, verse 18, the word of the cross. Chapter 2, verse 2, I determine that know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, okay? And so the first work that Paul said, I need to remind you that I'm committed to, and you know this, is preaching the word of the cross, getting the gospel out. I did that. And then chapter 3, verse 10, the grace of God given to me to be a wise master, a wise master builder, to lay a foundation, and then he says to encourage others to be careful how to build on that foundation. In other words, how to work. I came for the work of the gospel to get it out. I came for the work of growing saints. Of doing the the work of building others up. And building on this foundation of the gospel. To encourage others. What kind of works? Gold, silver, precious stone type of work. And to make sure that it's not wood, hay, straw type of work that will burn up. You say, is that the sin stuff? No. That's actually just doing things that really don't, they don't matter. Okay, so in other words, it's actually doing work, but doing work that really doesn't matter. And someday that work is going to burn up and all that's going to be left is the work that does matter. Now you put those two together and you have the work of the Lord, evangelism and edification. And it's what, what uh, Paul himself did. And what he's encouraging the church to do too. Now, how do you know when a person is doing those two things? He is characterized by the same life guides that Paul was led by. You say, well, what's that? Verses 5 through 12 of 1 Corinthians 16. Paul gives us insights into just what those life guides were. Like guidelines for life. Guidelines for working. You can say ministry. And listen, beloved. There is an overarching thought from 1558 that the Lord wants us to do His work to the max level. To spend ourselves. Remember, Epaphroditus from Philippians two. Paul said that he has worked himself almost to death. Now, what? Why? Why did Paul say that? What's Paul saying that for? Is he trying to tell him, hey, remember Epaphroditus? He worked himself to death. I mean, you guys need to relax. You need a vacation. Don't be like Epaphroditus. No. He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. Here's what Paul said Receive him in the Lord with all joy, hold man like him in high regard. Huh. You mean you're not calling for us to take a vacation? He say he's the Pastor says Vacations are bad. Take your vacation. It's fine. Go get recharged. But understand something. Even on a vacation, you can work, right? Doing the Lord's work. Risking his life, he worked almost to the point of death. Hold men like him in high regard. Encourage that brother. Encourage him to do what? To keep going. <laughs> you ever feel that way where you look around at people, you you feel like you can barely tread water and you see somebody that's, he looks like he's walking on water. He's going so fast and going so efficient. You want to tell him, slow down. You make me look like a foot. You know I mean? I'm not, I'm not very, very good here. I'm not really working. This is not working out too well here for me. Hey, we all have our own pace and our own abilities that way, but he calls us to work. Make sure that he feels your joy about that. Notice, too, from First Corinthians 1558: "Your toil is not empty in the Lord." The Lord will cause that work to bear fruit. So what's the key? The key is there's a key here. You say, Will he be faithful? The Lord? First Corinthians one nine. God is faithful, right? No, the key that's not the key, whether or not God is going to be faithful. Sometimes I think we mistakenly think that. Like Job. No it's not whether or not God is going to be faithful. The key is our work. The key is this. How far are you willing to go? You say, I'd like to be that kind of worker like Jesus, like Paul, like Epaphroditus. But how? I mean, what does it look like? I mean, are there any life guides that I need to pay attention to? There are life guides. There are seven of them in... When you take this approach, you can be like um, what it says in Second 2 Timothy two fifteen. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. You know this is fascinating. So he says, be you know you you need to be approved to God as a workman, no shame in the work, and that phrase accurately handling is a fascinating one. It was used to describe the work that it takes. To plow a straight line, preparing the ground to plant seeds, to grow produce and bear fruit. That's what handling accurately means. How do you get approved to God? How do you get approval for your work? Listen, it's not just the work that you do, but it's the approach that you have in it. And what's really amazing is that we're going to intersect with three different men, Paul, Timothy, and Apollos. And all of them have this approach to God's work, doing it God's way. Now, is that where you're at? Have you placed faith in Christ and are now at the place where you are saying, Okay, Lord, I'm ready to work. I am ready to walk in Ephesians 2.10, good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Are you at that place? If so, I want to give to you seven characteristics of one who does God's work, God's way. These are things that you must have. First, a forward look. A forward look. See, so say, what do you mean by that? You need to be visionary. you got to be able to look out, to, to look forward. That is, to be able to look into the future. You've got to you gotta be a person that can look down the road. Some of us are very nearsighted when it comes to work and ministry, or really anything. And we don't really have an ability to be farsighted. But we must be. If we're going to do God's work. Paul said in verse 10, he is doing the Lord's work. How? He had a forward look. There's a planning dynamic to this kind of person. There's an absorption in needs that haven't happened yet. In other words, this person looks down the road and says... I know these needs are coming. I can see where things are going. In other words, it's not so much that he's putting out fires. It's that he sees things that haven't been done yet and he knows will need to be done in order to get where he or she or the family or whoever needs to get to. Now look at verse 5 and you'll see that in Paul. He says, But I shall come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. It's okay, I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) I'll show you. Now Paul is planning on coming to this church after he goes through Macedonia. Notice he says, and again, because I'm going through Macedonia. Almost as if to kind of tell them, this is going to happen, it will happen. You ever do that? Right? Um, I'll talk to you after I go to Reno, because I'm going to Reno. Right? What are you trying to tell that person? This is going to happen. This is the set plan. I'm trying to make it really clear to them, Don't try to talk me out of this. It's happening this way. Macedonia first, then Corinth. Now, what's in Macedonia? Well, churches like the one in Thessalonica. That's in Macedonia. Or like the saints in Philippi. That's in Macedonia. Berea is in Macedonia. Now I think to really get this down, you have to have the background. Now Paul right now is in Ephesus. And if, if you're wondering where, like what's going on there, just read Acts chapter 19 and you can get a pretty good idea of what's going on somewhere in Acts 19. Now here was the original plan. Paul wrote this letter called First Corinthians and he, the original plan was to put it in the hands of Timothy and Timothy was going to go and take it to them. Now we know that the plan had to change because eventually, well here in a, in a moment, he's going to say, hey, when Timothy gets there, right? take care of him. So that tells me the original plan of the letter going with Timothy didn't happen. And so he had to do it a different way. He had to get the letter there quicker because Timothy was going to do something else and, and so forth, okay? You say, well, how do you know that Paul had a plan like that? Second Corinthians 1 verse 15. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might receive, you might twice receive a blessing that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you be helped on my journey to Judea. Now, if you read Acts, you know that didn't happen. It didn't happen in the way that he had intended. And he's trying to tell them that. He's trying to explain that. Now, what is in Judea? That's the church at Jerusalem. And the plan was to take the collection to them there. See? So here we go. Let's put it all together. So here was the plan. It was supposed to be this. Go to Corinth, go to Macedonia, come back through Corinth. But now there's a new plan. And the plan is go to Macedonia first. He's saying, how could Paul change his plan like that? Well, that's what they were wondering too. You ever, are you a person that struggles with other people changing their plans? Get ready. <laughs> you maybe are more like the Corinthians than you think. 2 Corinthians 17. Here's Paul. I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? So that with me there will be yes, yes and no, and no at the same time. I mean, that's what they were thinking. Man, with you, we don't know if we can really, you know, believe your words. Because sometimes you say yes And then yes becomes yes and no. And then yes and no becomes no. I mean, what is it? You make plans and then you break plans. Verse 18, listen to Paul. But God is faithful. God is faithful. In other words, He changed our plan. Do you have room in your life for that? Our word to you is not yes and no. Verse 20, for as many as are the promises of God in him, they're yes. Say it again. In him, they're yes. You say, but I have this plan. We have this plan. We were going to do this. We were going to do this other thing and everything. In him, they're yes. Yes. So here he is, and he says, uh, verse 20, For, uh, therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Hey, he says, here's the reason why, you know, the plan's changed because God had to glorify himself through that. And we didn't know it in the first place, or we would, we would have made that other plan, right? In other words, we had plans, they changed, but they changed for good to serve God's glory. Now the plan is now to go from Macedonia, straight to Macedonia, and then to you guys, verse 6, and to spend winter with you. Now, great strategy, because traveling in the winter was a death sentence across the sea. So that's a good strategy. You say, did the church at Corinth struggle with Paul changing his plans. Well, we just share, share with you a little bit of that. But I want to share more. Absolutely. I want to show you how much they struggled. Uh, turn back just for a moment to chapter 4. Verse 18, Paul said, Some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Paul says, you started to presume my, my, my motives. You started to say, well, that's probably because Paul is like this. Boom, 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 boom. That's why he's not coming to us. Maybe he's afraid of us. Maybe he doesn't want to face the music. Maybe he's not the pastor that we thought it, it he was. Paul says, you started throwing shade my way. So things have changed, and now Paul is making a new plan. And I love this. By telling us this, he he gives us insight into something. Paul is a problem solver. Well, I guess I'm not coming. I mean, it, it's not things have changed. So I guess I I guess I'm just going to stay here at Ephesus. No, immediately he began to think. I'd like to get to Corinth. How can I do it? We'll do it a different way. He's a person who is always forward thinking. Is that you? Do you ever struggle sometimes where you you, you begin to, it doesn't happen the way you planned. Rather than going forward, you start to go backward and you start to trail back and go, I don't see how I'm going to ever make this work or ever get this to happen. And so your work stops. Paul not with Paul he's a he's a forward-looking person. He's forward in his thinking, always looking ahead. He's a strategy guy. You say, "Well, what makes it so hard for him to keep his plans?" You can go read it for yourself in Acts 19. There's a there's just tremendous ministry going on in Ephesus. There so many people responding to the gospel and maybe he didn't realize that it was going to happen that way. And so many people are responding and he's putting all his effort into the ministry there. And what is amazing is in all of that, in all of that, he is still able to think about Corinth. Think about that. Here he is and he's inundated there in Ephesus, but he hasn't shut his mind off to Corinth. That tells me he's able to do, he's he's a pretty good multitasker. I don't know about that. But I can tell you this, his heart is over there and over here. So can you be fully devoted over here and have a thought over there? Sure. Somewhere along the line, he's able to categorize, right? He's able to kind of put things on this shelf and have things over here on this shelf and give attention to this shelf, knowing that later on he's going to go to this one over here. that's what doing god's work looks like beloved it is forward in its look he could look out and see the needs to corinth and macedonia and a plan all the way to judea into jerusalem see and paul was looking out at what hadn't been done in ministry. And that was always the way he operated. He was very forward in his looking. Turn for a moment to Romans 15, and you can see this in action. In verse 20, Paul says, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. That's the plan always, right? I, I... I don't want to go where people have already been. I want to go where it's, you know, where I'm breaking ground. I, I want to grow where, I want to go where it's, it's brand new. In other words, I feel good about letting another brother take, hey, you've got that corner covered? Great, amen, go for it. I'll go way over there. Verse, I mean... Verse 24. Paul's desire, where, where are the places the gospel hasn't gone out and it makes sense to go there. Verse 24. Whenever I go to Spain. Spain? What's in Spain? Well, Spain had a guy had its roots through a guy named Seneca. And... uh, Greek guy that made his way all over there to Spain and his influential thinking over there. And Paul must have thought to himself, hey, he's putting all his thinking over there. We need to get the gospel over there so that it can counter that. And people can actually be saved so that we can save people out of humanism. He says, for I hope to see you in passing what I love again there in Romans fifteen twenty four is here he is again and he has a plan. What's the plan? Go to Spain. Again, why Spain? Because it's growing and there's great influence there. And the Roman road, by the way, went right into Spain. Right through it. Look at verse twenty five, Romans fifteen twenty five, but now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And by the way, Corinth is is there in Achaia. Verse 28, Therefore, when I have finished this, and I put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. Paul says, hey, when I'm done doing all of this, when I do all of this, I'm going to come visit the church in Rome on my way to Spain. You say, that's awfully presumptuous, Paul. Well, no, that's just Paul planning. And it's what he did. You say, well, was that a a, a realistic deal? Well, that's not a consideration to Paul. You know what the consideration to Paul was? Not, is this realistic? The consideration was, is it needed? Well, how are you going to do that? I don't know. I'm not concerned about the how. I just know that it needs it. It needs it. So I'm beginning the plan to make that work, to make that happen. So many of us shut down when we see roadblocks and we think, oh, well, it can't happen. Well, wait a minute, but is it needed? And if the answer is yes, then we need to make a plan to find, find a way to make this work. It was needed. The gospel hadn't gone there. Listen, you want to do God's work? You have to be a forward-looking person. You cannot be lost in the here and now. And I tell you, beloved, I think sometimes we get so caught up in the now, we're buried in it, and we get so much into what has to happen now that we don't let ourselves look into the future. We don't look out and say, but what about what could be done? Right? And I get it, because... Frankly, there's always so much work that never gets done. And so maybe you think to yourself, well, why think about down there when I've got so much in front of me that just isn't being done right now? And the list is growing long. But you know, I'll tell you this, the one who does God's work has a look to the future. In other words, he's able to do both. He doesn't lose sight of needs down the road, see? In fact, what you do is you get ready now for what you're planning on coming tomorrow. You get ready right now so that the thing that you want to plan for can happen tomorrow. I was so thankful that in my pastoral training, I had men like this for me. I'll never forget working for teaching pastor, Chris Mueller. I was his assistant and uh, associate pastor. And he said, Mike, I want you to tackle. And he had this great big theological issue that he wanted me to tackle. And he said, I want you to teach the elders what the right position is on this theological issue. And at the time I thought, oh boy, this is big. You want me to teach them? I'm not even an elder yet with these guys. But he told me this. He said, I, I think this is going to be an issue for the church down the road. I said, okay. That's, you, listen, you have me. I, I need you to do this because you're my boss. But I got you. All right. So I got myself to work in it, and I put myself to study and presented presented it all, and that was that. Then a short year and a half, two years later, I became a pastor, at a church, and in the first month, the very issue that I studied for became a reality. The first month. I was amazed. The Lord had prepared me for that moment. How? Because I had a pastor who had a forward look in ministry. You know, you could just study church history and see just how many men have prepared the church for these moments. They had the forward look on things and got ready for the big moment. Study C.H. Spurgeon and what was called the downgrade controversy. It's fascinating to me because a lot of the elements of the downgrade controversy were some of the same elements that the church struggled with when the seeker-sensitive movement came around in the 90s. People that were trying to make the gospel relative to people. Surveying people and trying to give them what they wanted. Go back and read Spurgeon. He was warning against that. Now, the point is this, to be faithful in the present, but look out into the future and plan for needs to come so that you're ready when the Lord says, all right, now, now go. That's the idea behind training for service. I mean, you do all you can to get equipped and to fill in the holes and to do ministry now so that you'll be ready for tomorrow. And so many of us sometimes can get a little bit discouraged and think, am I really even going anywhere? Is this really doing anything? Yes. Now I can direct this to parents too. What are you planning for your children down the road? Huh? What strategy are you investing into now that's going to help that out? What's your vision or strategy? And we're talking about God's work. What God wants for ministry, serving Him. You say, but what if things change and don't turn out the way that you plan? And then, well, you need the next point. Point number two a flexible hand. A flexible hand. Solomon says in Proverbs 16, 9, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord that directs the steps. Now you always leave room then in your plans and strategies for the Lord's hand, right? And so you have to be flexible. God's work is done by those that have a flexible hand. Now this is hard for people that make plans and they have thought it through and they have plan A And there's no plan B because plan A is so good, right? But in ministry, there has to be a flexible hand. Now look with me at verse 6. And perhaps I shall stay with you or even spend the winter that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. Now first, you start with the word perhaps. Probability, right? I mean, I'd like to plan to stay, not just a short visit, but spend the winter there. But here's the flexibility. Look at verse 7. If the Lord, what? Permits. If it's the Lord's will, there's the open hand. A hand of flexibility, see. Now these Corinthians at this church accused Paul of being a wishy-washy guy. And I showed you that from 2 Corinthians 1, 15 through 20. They said he's a yes-no guy. That he doesn't mean what he says. But they're not really getting Paul, are they? In a ministry, Paul had to learn you can you can strategize and plan, but you have to have an open hand to God changing things. Right? Let me show you an illustration of of where he really learned this from. Acts chapter 16. In fact, if you want to turn there, you can. Um, And what I want you to see is that this is something that Paul actually had to learn. Verse 6, Paul has Timothy and Silas with him and they have a ministry plan, a mission plan. It says they happened through to go through the Phrygian and Galatian region having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, the plan was to go to Asia. Where's that? Well, what he means by Asia here is all those places you know in Revelation two and three, like Smyrna and Laodicea and Colossae and um, Sardis and so forth. That's Asia, and Paul wants to go there. And here is Paul, and he says, "We feel that that's where we need to go. That they need the gospel there." And the Holy Spirit said, "No." All right. Then let's move on to the next play, verse 7. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Not there either? No. And they came to Troas. Where's Troas? North. Apparently, he must have said no to that too. So they tried north, they tried east, they tried south, There's only one direction left. You know what the Spirit did? Verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Huh. What's that? That is a flexible, open hand. Notice, he did not force Troas. He didn't force, you know, all the other areas. He didn't force Asia. I have read the story of David Livingstone. David Livingstone as a tremendous missionary to, to Africa. But his first plan was to go to China. He really wanted to go to China. He felt he was called to China. Until the Lord said, no, go to Africa. The door was shut to China, but he opened the door to Africa. And by the way, he has been the most influential missionary to Africa in history. He opened it up. You see, he had a flexible hand. He, he made plans and then he let the Lord shape them. And he made the most of it. I've told you this story from my own life, but before becoming a pastor teacher, I really had to learn to have a flexible hand. I began the early years of ministry with the youth, high school age. You know, we, uh, at one time, we were ministering to like 400 people, youth, 400 youth, right? I mean, a place like this couldn't even you know, hold uh, maybe half of the group that we had coming. And then the Lord moved me to Phoenix to... Bible college. And at that time, my desire was to be a pastor teacher in a church, to be a preaching pastor. And so I moved to Washington to be trained and then ordained. And and I had my sights set on preparing to preach the word and verse by verse. And then um, something happened. The elders came to me and they said, listen, we have an opportunity for you. Oh, wonderful. What is it? We have decided that This next year, you need to be the junior high pastor. I said, wait a minute. (laughs) Can we talk about this? Have you guys prayed about this? My plan was to be pastor teacher. Not the right time. I had to learn to have a flexible hand. I had to learn that that is vital to doing God's work. needed to learn. It's all about what the Lord permits and what He allows. Third characteristic of doing God's work, God's way, thirdly, it is this, a far-reaching commitment. A far-reaching commitment. You do God's work, God's way, and you are one who has a far-reaching commitment. See, what do I mean by that? A commitment to depth. A a commitment that is... uh, to thoroughness in your work. Notice with Paul in verse 7 For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time. Paul says, The reason why I'm willing to change my plans is because I want to stay a while with you. I mean, there, there was never anything superficial about Paul and the work of the ministry with him. Never. He was never comfortable with, hey, I'll give you my five minutes or I'll give you this short time. Never comfortable with that. Paul says, I want to be there for a while. Why? There was was nothing superficial about Paul and the work of ministry with him. I mean, he says, because I got to get it all out. I mean, I need to be thorough in the work that the Lord has called me to do with you. Verse 6, I'm going to spend winter with you. I'm, I'm planning to be there for a while. Now, beloved, that's commitment to them. This is the part of ministry work that is investment. Investment of life. We talk about it all the time here. True ministry, biblical ministry, is meant to be life on life. Moses gave Joshua, his life. Elijah gave Elisha his life. Paul gave Timothy his life. It is not classroom or getting together for coffee. It's life investment. It's life investment. And that's commitment. That's time. It's far-reaching commitment, not to a program, but to people. Where you get to know their thinking and you get to know how they handle adversity and how they work things out in their life. You gotta have time. Now Paul could have said, Well, you guys know I've already spent a year and a half with you. I think this time's gonna be quicker. Maybe I'll just get through there for a week and get going. I mean, lots of things to do. That's not Paul. There are so many that think that ministry is putting together a message and giving it out and then going into your bunker and coming out the next week for another one. (laughs) Listen, any person can do that. Honestly. There There are so many tools out there. Any person can do that. Tell you what's harder: getting a text or a phone call nine or ten o'clock at night, after you're just done with everything, and somebody's saying, "I need, I need more of the Lord. I need. I don't know where I'm going. I don't. There's a struggle here," and you saying, "All right, let's go spend some time at this, working through this, my life and your life." And then doing it again, two days later with a different person, and then four days later with a different person, some other thing. Why do you do it? Because it's life investment. God's kind of true work is a far-reaching commitment where you spend yourself, your life in it, on other people. First Thessalonians 2, We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives Because you have become dear to us. Listen, beloved. The only way to do God's work is through a far-reaching commitment. Paul says in Colossians to 29 we proclaim Him. That's the preaching ministry, the teaching ministry, right? Could also be the discipleship ministry. Admonishing every man. Teaching every man with all wisdom. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Literally, to present them mature, finished in the Lord. Notice though also... Every man, every man, every man. Complete. Every man complete. That's an impossible goal. Paul says, but that's my commitment. It's to every person. And then verse 29, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. I work at that. There's great laboring. It's exhausting commitment to that end. See? See? Do you just do you see just how much commitment? It's only God's kind of work when you can say with Paul every man. Every man. There's a thoroughness to it, a fullness, nothing half done. It is a it is a full job. Laziness is the mark of many in this capitalistic country of ours that wants to gain as much as it can and do as little to get it as it can. You do less work, you retire early, and you expect much pay. That's the American way, right? Tell me I'm wrong. But that's not the Lord's way. What are we after? Complete in Christ. Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Do you know what he's saying there? Until we all, that's the scope, all. Unity of the faith, that's the substance, right? The faith, the doctrine, that we'll be unified in it. Knowledge of the Son of God, that's the seed. The food, if you will, Mature man, that's the standard, the stature. What's a mature man look like? The fullness of Christ. You say, why say it that way? Not just a little like Jesus, like all of Jesus. And by saying that, he means the stuff that we can imitate, like his compassion and his kindness and his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and self-control and righteousness and gentleness and stuff like that. Listen, that's not an overnight job. There has to be a certain kind of commitment to that person. A patience, a steadfastness, a perseverance. Be careful, parents. You know ways that we can sometimes give up on doing those types of things? By getting our kids involved in too many things. So many things. Just gotta get them busy. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, they need these things. And they need a parent who's going to be committed to them to have these things. One last characteristic of one who does God's work, God's way. It's a person, it's one who has a fixed presence. Listen, to the present. A fixed presence to the present. See, what do you mean by that? We already talked about you having a forward look into the future. Now this is the person whose feet are on the ground in the now. You're a doer in the now. You have fixed your presence to the present, to the now. In other words, you plan, you're open, you're committed, but you're not just some dreamer. You don't just stay in the dreamer state. You have a commitment to right now, getting work done now. You don't close your eyes to the things that need to be done now. Notice Paul verses 8 and 9. But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. He says, listen, there's a great reason why I've changed my plans and I'm not coming to you right now. And I'm going to go to Macedonia. It's because I'm doing, something came up. And I, and I got to tell you, that something that came up is amazing. I'm going to stay where I'm at right, for right now. Where's that at, Paul? Ephesus Acts 19, for how long, Paul? Pentecost, what's that? The Jewish feast 50 days after Passover, springtime. You can't just be a dreamer. You can't just be a planner. You have to be committed to present ministry. Ministry in the now. We we have to be doers. And if you're not presently good, you'll never be future ready, right? Some people get stuck in preparation You read, you study, you listen to sermons, and you come to the classes, and you go to flock, and and you receive, and it's all information. It's going in here. That's great. But what about the doing? What about the now? Right? Where's the proof that you can do all that stuff that you're learning about? And I'll tell you, this is the downside for many seminary students especially ones that aren't connected to a local church that trains while they study in school. We've already, now we've already seen it. Paul has these plans. He has an open hand. He says, I, I want to come to you guys. I'm planning on it, but not now. Why? There's present ministry. Where? At Ephesus. What's going on there? Verse 9, look at it a wide door for effective service. Now there's two kinds of doors to ministry that the Bible talks about. Can you take a guess? Evangelism and what? Edification. We're right back to where we started. There's the door that's open for evangelism, Colossians four he talks about that. A door is open. Second Corinthians, I think it's chapter two, and I think it's right around verse thirteen and fourteen where he talks about the door that's open to Troas for the gospel. But there's also edification, an edification door where people are growing in the Lord. And I love the fact that Paul was a planner and looking deep into the future, but also aware of the present ministry need that he was committed in both directions, okay? Let me conclude here for this morning here to give us these thoughts. and We're going to come back to verses. There's a lot more that I've got to share with you because I, I don't think you fully understand what was going on at Ephesus, and I need, I need to tell you about that next Lord's Day. But, so we're going to see what kind of present need was keeping Paul at Ephesus even though he was looking forward to getting back to Corinth. But I want you to leave you with this. You plan, you know, you hold your hand open, you, you get really sunk into the people with a resolve to invest for a long time into them. And then you fix yourself right into the ministry the Lord has given you right in front of you never losing sight of the now, always looking forward, and in between, you commit to get people to become like Christ. See, That's the work that the Lord wants us to be involved in, and that's the way He wants us to do it. And we'll have more, we'll finish up with the last principles for next Lord's Day, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us about our hearts and, and about our work. And uh, we think of Epaphroditus who, he just, he didn't seem to have a much of a care at all, even for his own life. I mean, here he was not doing really well, and it seems that he just kept getting worse and worse. And maybe he thought to himself, oh, it'll get better, but no matter, I'll just keep working the work of the Lord. What could make a person like that do something like that? The very same thing with Paul, we know because he thought it was worth it, Lord, because you were in it and he was doing it for your glory. I pray, Lord, you would make us like those kinds of people. And we will give you the glory in advance. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.